Let's pray together this morning. Father, can we believe what you say about us? Can we hear your voice in our lives? And can we trust it? And Lord, as we talk about you today and as we talk with you today, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Chris, and I'm the pastor of Community Life. Hi, Lynn. Um, you know, and, and Peter is, uh, as you might have noticed, Peter is out today, and for the next couple of weeks, he's actually going to be on vacation and visiting family. And so I thought, you know what? This is the perfect time for us to talk about community, right? I'm the pastor of community. Perfect time for us to talk about community. Peter's out, like, come on, let's get, get him out of here. We're gonna talk about community while he's gone, uh, as you can see right here. Um, and so I'm actually really excited to, to talk about this. We're gonna do actually a seven-week series coming up here on community. And I'm gonna preach a couple of times. John Perch is gonna preach a couple of times. Carl's gonna preach. And then actually Peter, when he gets back, he's gonna preach uh, the last two sermons um, as well. So, so yeah, I think, you know, as we think about community, I, what I really hope is that we'll start to understand this over the next, over the course of these seven weeks, we'll start to understand the importance of spiritual community and how community can be transformational in your own life, but also in the life of this church and really in our city and our world. Um, and so now I, and I know what you're thinking. I'm standing up here. I'm telling you I'm the pastor of community life. You're thinking, okay, blah, blah, blah. He's going to tell us about how he wants us to come to more events and be a part of the church more. We get it. You don't even need to preach. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. Yes, I would love for you to come to more events and be a part of the church in whatever way that you can. However, no, this is not just what this uh, sermon series is about, but uh, over the course of the next seven weeks, we're going to give you, hopefully give you as much as we can, give you a comprehensive picture of who Christ has called the church to be and how embodying Christ is where transformation actually takes place. And my hope is that these next seven weeks will give us some formational ways to be involved in community. So hear me out. I don't just want to talk about community because what's the point? I want to help us grab hold of some formational ways that will help us be involved in community. And also I want to energize and excite a passion within the sanctuary to reach beyond a disembodied consumption of a wonderful message, right? And I want you guys to step into a journey with one another as we seek, seek to faithfully embody the presence of Christ to each other and to the world around us. So I want to say this up front. Community is hard. <laughs> Community is really hard, especially right now, right? And it's not for the faint of heart. It's, it's actually much easier to show up here on a Sunday morning to get your fill of good theology and solid preaching for the week and to move on, right? To move on, to go into, into your week. But it's much harder to open yourselves to those around you, 
right? To invest your life in your neighbor, to share your story, to share the sorrow of those who are broken, to listen to those who maybe you disagree with, right? And to join in the lives of those who are different you, but we must. And I'm going to tell you why. We must join in and participate in the presence of Christ. Because participating in community, it's hard work. In fact, we might even call it a labor, a labor of love to participate in community. And so over the course of these next seven weeks, um, we're going to pray this prayer together every single week. Okay? And, 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 and this, is, this is a prayer that will hopefully cultivate a desire within you to be in relationship. Um, the prayer is going to be on the screen. And I'm going to read the portion that is not bolded and it's labeled leader. Or it's not, it's not the portion in the white. And then you guys are going to read together, pray this together, the portion that is um, kind of highlighted in the yellow that says church. And we're going to pray this every week together. So as I pray, uh, and then you guys will just will say it out loud together, recite it out loud. So, our lives are so small, O oh Lord. That's great. It's perfect. Our courage so frail. Therefore, give us grace and guidance for the journey ahead. We are gathered here because we believe that we are called together into a work we cannot yet know the fullness of. And so we offer to you, O God, these things. Shape them as you will. May they be invested toward bright eternal ends. May we be unified as a beautiful community. Shepherd us well, lest we grow enamored of our own accomplishments or entrenched in old habits. Instead, let us listen for your voice, our hearts ever open to the quiet beckonings of your spirit in this endeavor. You alone, O oh God, by your gracious and life-giving spirit, have power to knit our imperfect hearts, our weaknesses, our strengths, our stories, and our gifts, one to another. May our acts of service and creation, frail and wanting as they are, be met and multiplied by the mysterious workings of your spirit, who weaves all things together toward a redemption more good and glorious than we yet have eyes to see or courage to hope for. Let all that we do here, and these are brief lives, and this our brief moment to love, and the work you have ordained for this community flourish as a winsome and beautiful foretaste of greater glories yet to come. May we be one as God is one. I in them, and you in me. May they become the O Spirit of God, 
now shape our hearts. O Spirit of God, now guide our hands. O Spirit of God, now build your kingdom among us. Amen. So what does healthy and whole community look like? Well, Ephesians, the end of Ephesians 1 and chapter 2, Paul gives us a few great pictures of what it means to be the church. So I'm going to read this scripture for us this morning. It starts in Ephesians 1, um, verse 20. And he says this, God put the powers to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above the ruler and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then in chapter two, verse 11, he says this. So then remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with, the, with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting death, but thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, both of us have access to one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. So, Paul uses three images here. For the first image, and he uses in one, one, chapter 1, verse 23, and, and it's the image of the body. And, and he says, he, and he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church which is the body, the fullness of him who dwells all in all. And he actually goes on to say this in almost all of his letters besides one to the churches, that they are the body of Christ. So we are his body. And, and the body is a complex organism, right? The body is, is very complex. Actually, every second, so here's a couple facts about the body, huh? and these just were astounding to me, but every second your body produces 25 million new cells. That means in 15 seconds, you will have produced more cells than there are people in the United States. It's pretty incredible. There, there's anywhere between 60,000 
and a hundred thousand miles of blood vessels in the human body. If they were taken out and laid end to end, they would be long enough to travel around the world three times. Insane, right? Insane. Pound for pound, your bones are stronger than steel. A block of bone the size of a matchbox can support up to 18,000 pounds of weight. Wow. Crazy. And here's the last fact about your body, and this one you might know a little bit more about, but if you sever the head from the body, you die. Yeah, that took a turn, right? That was like a 180 right there. If you sever the head from your body, you die. That fact isn't quite as interesting. But the message paraphrase uh, of Ephesians 1.22 says this, the church is, the, is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. This means when people look at the church, when people look at the church, they're looking at Christ. Not, not some sort of picture of Christ, not sort of representation of Christ. They are looking at Christ. The church is now the enfleshed, it's the embodied, the incarnate presence of Christ in our world. So why when people look at the church, is it that so often they don't see Christ? Right? They see something much different than Christ. Why is it, uh, why is the church usually not good news for people? Even for Christians, right? Going to church can sometimes be a burden. Participating in church can, can be difficult. Thanks to a Barna research poll, we see that from 2009 to 2020, this, this is an astounding statistic, that church attendance went from 49% of Americans attending church to, anybody have a guess? What was it? 12, it's a little low. 29%, it went from 49% to 29% in, in a span of 10 years. That's almost a 50% decrease. Wow. So why the dramatic change? Well, I think this may have something to do with it. One of our most dominant cultural narratives is built on self-preservation, right? Personal happiness, individual success, making sure my needs are met, a culture of competition, right? where I win and you lose, or I'm in and you're out. Individualism is so strong that actually it has unfortunately seeped into the church and slowly but surely dismembered its people, severing and siloing body parts so that they end up fending for themselves. And unfortunately, it has left the church looking like a graveyard of dry bones rather than a unified, healthy, whole body, working together and animated and energized by the Spirit of Christ. So when we turn church into a place where I can better my own individual self or I can gain more knowledge and Jesus can help me with what I need, we end up severing body parts. And I know this sounds really dreadful, right? <laughs> I know this sounds really uh, defeatist, but hang with me because there's good news and that good news is Christ. Because it is Christ who draws us into unity and fills us with himself. It is Christ that makes us a healthy and a whole body. And, and so know this, unity 
is not uniformity, right? The body of Christ does not look the same. In fact, it is our diversity that actually draws us into unity. And you can see this through the representation of the, the person of the Trinity, where we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, all different, but yet all unified. We are designed to be in relationship. In fact, that is one of like our basic human needs is to be in relationship. We crave it. We want it. We want to be known and to know people. Paul says this. He says, Christ is the head, right? Christ is the head, which is crucially important, okay? Because as you guys know from what I just said earlier, when you sever the head from the body, what happens? It dies. So you cannot separate Christ from the church just as much as you cannot separate a head from the body. One of the most common misunderstandings in the Christian life is that we can stand outside of the body. We can stand outside of it. We can study it. We can discuss it as if we were not a part of it. And the Christian community becomes something that we take in when it's convenient to us, right? We separate the Christian community from the rest of our lives until we need it on Sunday morning and then we have it again. But here's what Paul is trying to say. And here is one of the most important things that I can remind you of this morning is that we cannot separate the body and the head. Church without Christ is death. But Christ without the church is just as dangerous. Information without transformation is worthless. Consumption without participation is meaningless. Mind without body, head without the heart, Jesus without the church, preaching without embodiment, it's all worthless. You need both. They go hand in hand. Christ is in all comprehensively pulling us together by his spirit. Even, even this morning, he's pulling us together by his spirit, whether you're in person or you're online. Every child to the oldest person who's here, the person who's sitting right in front of me to the person who is across the world listening to this, he is pulling us together by his spirit to be a community. He's unifying us to become the fullness of him who fills us. If you sever yourself from the body, and if you try to do this on your own, you will not survive. And the whole body will suffer because of it. See, the gospel is not dismembered. It's not a bunch of words disembodied. We have to embody the message that we are preaching, or it is no message at all. So the second image. It gets a little better. The second image, he says that we are the household of God. And I think this is really cool because I think this is really relatable for a lot of us. We've all belonged to a specific household and we can remember some of the specific memories that have taken place in that household. Um, I think this is really interesting. So the Industrial Revolution has changed a lot in America. Um, some for better, some for worse. But one of the most unique things that has changed has been the way we talk about the household family. And Wendell Berry, he's a writer and a poet, and he says this, the most powerful and most destructive change of the modern time 
has been a change in language. The rise of the image or metaphor of the machine. Language is used to be, uh, sorry, language used to be much more organic. And maybe some of you who are older can remember this, that language used to be much more about family, right? Uh, and had to do with living things. God was seen as a shepherd. The faithful were seen as sheep. Um, the church was seen as a bride, Jesus as the bridegroom. Good care of the earth was husbandry and relationships among people were brother and sister. But now we hear terms that refer to people as units, right? Like a family unit. Um, your mind is referred to as a computer offering inputs and feedbacks. Your body is thought of as a machine, right? And you, you eat food to fuel it. Work is now judged by efficiency and profitability. And unfortunately, this language has also bled into the life of the church. So instead of a household, the church has become an efficient machine, pumping out productive Christians with a pattern and a blueprint of strategies, right, of how this is to be done. A factory of advancement, where you make your way through the assembly line of discipleship, consuming all the information that you need and um, go about on your way with me and Jesus. But here's the rub. The church is not a transactional community where you pay good money, you listen to good music, and you hear a well-thought-out, insightful sermon. It's not a machine where you come to consume what it produces. If you want to hear great music, I know plenty of great artists on iTunes that you could probably listen to. And if you want to hear great preaching, you can go and find any sort of podcast that will tell you what you want to hear. Honestly, there's, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of podcasts. So we cannot think our way into a new way of living. We have to live our way into a new way of thinking, right? I hope that makes sense. Because I think that sometimes we think, well, if we just hear information, we will be able to change. And that, that's not necessarily always how it works. In fact, it's usually the opposite. Before, before you can change the way you think, you change the way you live. So spiritual community is being in relationship with your brothers and sisters. It's participating and giving yourself to the community, the family, right? The household of the God. This, this will be the most formational thing you ever do. And it's formational because Christ is present in that. And Christ isn't, don't hear me saying this, Christ isn't pre present in a place. He's not present in this building, but he's present in relationship. Is present all around us. So relationship is hard. It's messy. It's not efficient. And the Christian community is the same, right? We don't come to church to get something out of it. We come to church to worship and to give of ourselves, to take part in the household of God by being present to one another. And that happens because we're the children, the children of God. I came from a family of six and I was a middle child so you can feel sorry for me if you want. Um, and I love my family, but there are times where I, I really wanted to kill my siblings, honestly. Talk about severing heads. Um, how nice it would have been to be an only child, right? I remember one time my brother and I got into a fight. He was throwing rocks at me. 
I don't remember why we got into this fight, but he was throwing rocks at me and, and they were starting to get really close to me and he was teasing me and finally I just had enough and I picked up a rock and I threw it across the, and it just right in the head, popped him right in the head. And, and I didn't mean to do that. I just wasn't a very good aim. And, um, and so he went and told my parents and I got in huge trouble, even though he started it, come on. But, but I, I, definitely, I definitely got into a lot of trouble for that one. Um, and you might say at times, it, it would have been nice to be an only child, right? Like I would have really enjoyed having my own room, um, not having hand-me-down clothes, maybe getting all of my parents' attention instead of it being dispersed to four other kids or three other kids. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have to dodge flying rocks. So it would have been nice maybe to be an only child. But then I start to think about all the memories that I would have missed out on, right? I start to think about how I would have missed out on laughing together, on playing together with my siblings. You know, I would have missed out on growing together and eating together. And um, I think even, you know, when, when we would get in trouble together, my brother and I, uh, we shared a room, so we would, she would, my mom would put us in our room, but we would like secretly play while, you know, we were in there and just have a good time. And so I, I think about all those times and I think I would be sad if it was just me. And so in God's household, we get to be together, right? And I know for some of you, you're like, man, I'd rather just be an only child. But in all of our differences and all of our fights, in all of our disagreements, we are a family. It's okay to have disagreements, but it's not okay to have division. We are not some efficient machine that consumes theology and produces converts or that shaves off the parts that seem unnecessary or wasteful. The church is much more organic. It's living, it's moving, and it's changing. And that's actually what makes it really beautiful. So the last image Paul uses is the image of a temple. In him, the whole structure is joined together. This is what he says in, in verse two, um, sorry, chapter two, verse 21. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you're also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Paul uses the language of koinonia. This is the Greek word. And, and this clearly means intimate communion. It means life sharing, not only with God, but with each other. Right? And, and when you boil it down, this is the purpose of God's call in your life. This is the purpose of God's call, is to be in union with him and with each other. So when you join the spiritual community, also known as the church, we take part with Christ. We are drawn into the temple of Christ and we become the temple of Christ in the world. And that is union with Christ. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, the temple language um, housed, literally housed the presence of Christ. And so what he's saying is that you are a temple and that we are a temple and that we are housing the presence of Christ. And so as I said earlier, as you look at this temple, as people look at this temple, they see the presence of Christ, the actual presence of Christ. That's pretty powerful. 
N.T. Wright says this, Paul saw the church as a microcosmos, a little world, not simply as an alternative to the present one, an escapist country cottage for those tired of city life, but as the prototype of what was to come. When we embody the message of Christ's love for all of creation, we embody as a community the presence of Christ in the world as a temple. John 17, Jesus, uh, in John 17, Jesus prays for union, and this is what he said. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's amazing. That is an amazing scripture passage right there. Because what he's saying is that he's in us, and we're in him. And he's drawing us together through that. What a reality. In Christ, which we know from what we've just preached is the gathered community. We are one with each other and one with the divine. We cannot have Christ without spiritual community. And we cannot have spiritual community without Christ. This community is not something to be consumed, but it's something we participate in. Is something we give ourselves to. And the church is the dwelling place of Christ, the fullness of him who finds all in all. Father Greg Boyle is a Jesuit priest who took up residence in one of the most gang-central locations in California. And he writes this book. It's called Tattoos on the Heart. If you haven't read it, it is fantastic. It's, it's, it's a great read. Um, in fact, if you could listen to the book, because he, he narrates it, and there's some of it that's in Spanish, and it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, but but he, he, he works with gang members on both sides, right? That sound familiar? Jesus drawing us together from both sides. He works with these gang members, um, and uh, he, he provides them with a family, and he provides them with work outside of their gangs. And it's called Homeboy Industries. And in 1987, um, Dolores Mission, which, is, which was their parish in that place, proclaimed themselves as a sanctuary church for undocumented immigrants. And they got a lot of attention for this, as you can imagine. They actually got a lot of pushback, and uh, they got some hate messages and even some death threats. And one time, Father, he tells this story, Father Boyle is turning the corner to go to the church, and on the church steps, he sees this message that says, wetback church. It was spray painted on the steps. And of course, this kind of discouraged him. And, um, you, you know, he was thinking about what to do about it. And later he went to, uh, later that day, he went to a meeting with um, some Hispanic ladies and uh, he was meeting with them and he was telling them about this incident that happened at the church. And, you know, he said, I probably just have to get one of the homies to clean it off for me. And uh, one of the ladies in that meeting, her name was Petra. She said, you will not clean that up. And of course, Father Boyle was a little thrown off, right? He was wondering, well, well what are we going to do about it? And, and as he was thinking this, the woman said again, you will not clean that up. If there are people in our community who are wetbacks, then we shall be proud to call ourselves a wetback church. You see, these women did not just want to serve the less fortunate but they wanted to become them. 
that they may be one as the Father and I are one. And here is what Father Greg writes after this story. He says, Jesus and Petra are on the same page here. They chose a oneness in kinship and a willingness to live in the other's hearts. Jesus, this is really important, Jesus was not a man for others. He was one with others. There is a world of difference in that. We are the temple of Christ, housing the very presence of Christ within us, I in them and you and me. As we move to the table, you know, I talked about the beginning of this. I, I was saying the goal of this series is not to just tell you about community, right? It's not to just talk about it and have a nice discussion or debate about it. But the goal is for us to labor in community, to enter into a transformative community and to join in with God and each other in what God is doing in our world. So how do you start to embody this message of Christ? Well, I think there's three ways. And it all starts at this table. The first way is to become the body of Christ. And on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he was with his disciples in the upper room and he did what he always does. He took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. Wow, sorry, it's a little frozen. <laughs> and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Whoa! <laughs> Crazy stuff is happening up here right now. In the same way, he took the cup <laughs> and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood. And every time you drink of this cup and eat of this bread, you do so in remembrance of me. So as we partake of his body, we become his body. And in the same way, you are part of the household, right? And when you're a part of a household, you know what that means when it comes to dinner time. It means you're invited to the table. And all of our differences and all of our diversity, we're invited to the table to have a seat and to eat with each other. And the third way is you're the temple. You're the temple where the very presence of Christ dwells. And as you participate in this table, you participate in the presence of Christ. And that presence of Christ is within you. And so this is one of the formational practices that we're talking about when it comes to community. And there's others that we're going to talk about soon, but when we come to this table this morning, I want you to think about those things. What does it mean for you to be a part of the body of Christ? In what ways are you taking part in that body? In what ways maybe have you severed that body? What does it mean for you to be a part of the household of God, to join in with a family who's maybe different than you, who maybe believes differently than you? How can you love that person next to you who's different? And what does it mean for you to embody the presence of Christ? To literally walk out of this place this morning knowing that you are a temple. And not only knowing that you are a temple, but knowing that the person you walk past on the street is also a temple, right? Housing the presence of Christ. And so as you see them and they see you, you recognize that you are one as they are one, as Christ is one. And that is really beautiful. 
So as we come up this morning, uh, we have two stations here. Um, the cups with, the, with no lid on it is wine and the other one's juice. And there's also some bread up there. Uh, and then after you partake in the Eucharist this morning, we have this thing up here. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen it. It's right here in front of us. And what I want you to do is you can do it during, during, right after you take communion or later on in the song, whatever you want to do. But what I want you to do is I want you to take one of these. There's a bunch of string on here. Take one of those off. And I want you to tie it around one of these nails. And then just kind of trace, trace along the lines and fill in the gaps here on these letters until you get to a place where you just can wrap it around and leave it. And you can do it one time or as many times as you want, but this is a representation of community because there's all sorts of different colors of strings and there's all sorts of different letters, but as we wind them together, it looks like a mess, right? It look, like right now, you, it's like, kind of looks like a little messy. But as you wind them together, you start to see the beauty in community. And it's the same with us. As we intertwine ourselves and input ourselves into the lives of those around us, it is messy, but it's also really beautiful. So let's come to the table this morning and worship together. Maybe this message was really challenging for you. Maybe it was really exciting to you. Maybe you were on the edge of your seat listening, or maybe you slept through the whole thing. It's okay. But here's what I want to say to you as a benediction blessing, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Amen.